let's go ahead and, and jump into our Bible reading today. Uh, let's uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and let's stand in the honor of reading the Word of God. We'll begin here in Matthew 6, and then we'll continue looking at what we've been looking at. Uh, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9, the prayer of our Lord here. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. So we've been looking, let's continue, we've been looking at this, uh, at the fear of, of the Lord. We've been looking at the fear of the Lord, one, because it's an, it's an important subject. Uh, two, for, for what we've been doing in going through the, the uh, a study on prayer, and then the Lord's prayer in particular, down in this last request that we make of the Lord that He would deliver us from evil, we saw that, that part of, of, an important part of spiritual warfare is the fear of the Lord. That we need the fear of the Lord in order to be delivered from evil. It's part of the way that we please the Lord, and that's what a good soldier does. You want to be a good soldier in the battle, uh, spiritual battles, you've got to please the one who enlisted you. And we saw that what it pleases the one who enlisted us is that we would fear Him. That it pleases the Lord when we fear uh, the Lord. But another reason we've been looking at it and spent so much time, not just because there's over 100 verses that talk about it, not just because it fits the subject that we're looking at, but because it's often so misunderstood. The fear of the Lord is, is a misunderstood uh, sort of theme in Scripture. Really not misunderstood. It's just not understood. Not misunderstood. Normally, we don't understand it at all. It's not, it's not that we've got a bad definition of the fear of the Lord. Typically, we don't have a definition at all. Uh, and so normally most of the problems with the fear of the Lord and, and our understanding of it isn't fixing bad definitions for us, but just giving us a definition uh, whatsoever. And so we've, we've been, we worked through the text, our, our simple definition of the fear of the Lord that we've worked out from those uh, various passages for about three weeks to get the definition uh, is to, to have faith in God because you are amazed by His glory and His holiness is to fear the Lord. Right? So to have faith in God, because you are amazed by His glory and His holiness. That's what it means to fear the Lord, um, at least inwardly. And we could stop there. It would be easy to stop there and go, look, okay, we've got a definition. We know when we see the fear of the Lord those hundred times, and we know we don't have to say, well, it's not really fear, uh, that we can have a good, biblically rich definition pulling in all those parts that the Lord used to describe those who fear Him, what's going on on their insides. We could stop there and be like, okay, now we understand what the fear of the Lord is, but the, the Bible doesn't stop there because the fear of the Lord is not something that is just solely inward. It's not just an attitude. Yet the fear of the Lord, that, that, that our affections are meant to breed action. That, that when we have this, this inward recognition is meant to result in an outward reaction to these things. So if we fear the Lord, if we truly fear the Lord on the inside, if we are, if we do have faith in Him because we're amazed by who He is, we're amazed by His glory, we're amazed by His holiness, we fear the Lord. If that's true, then it will affect how we live. And so we've looked at the Bible telling us, okay, this is how those who fear the Lord live. Those who fear the Lord, they do this. If you fear the Lord, you will do this. 
If you're doing this, you don't fear the Lord. Those who fear the Lord do not do this. So that's what we're starting to look at. Not just what does it mean internally to fear the Lord, but if we fear the Lord, what will be present and what will be absent in our lives? That all of us can say, oh yes, that's me. I am in awe of his glory. I am in awe of his holiness. But the, but the true barometer for whether or not you fear the Lord is going to be seen in your actions. All of us will say, oh yes, God is, God is amazing. I'm amazed by him. I have faith in him because I'm so amazed by him. Oh, he's so glorious. He's so holy. I fear the Lord. But the Lord makes a point of saying, all right, if that is true, this is what we'll see in your life. This is what we'll see in your life. And so last week, you know, we looked at what sort of things should we see uh, for this good barometer and, and good accountability in, in spiritual warfare. You want to be a good spiritual warrior, you need, to, you need to have these things. You want to be prepared for the fight against the evil one. And so last week, we, we began looking at uh, just one of those actions, and we looked at those who fear the Lord, uh, the, the fear of the Lord results in an outward praise of God. Uh, praise and worship. If you fear the Lord, it will result in praise. Those who fear the Lord, praise the Lord. It just happens. And they praise the Lord loudly. <laughs> they praise the Lord publicly. They praise Him in the congregation. They praise Him when they're alone. They praise Him in the congregation of the people. They declare His glory to the nations. That the volume of our praise is equal to the value of our God. If your God is great, then the, your praise will be loud. If your God's not so great, your praise might be mumbled. And we prayed that we would not be a people whose praise sounded like the rumblings of many mumblings, rather the roaring of many waters. This next one, we've got, that's not all that the fear of the Lord is said to be. This next one is born out of that same idea, comes uh, really off the idea that it is faith in God because He is these things. Faith in Him, that you hope in His steadfast love, you believe in Him. Because He is these things, because He is amazing. He's, he does have amazing glories, amazing holiness. This is sort of built off of that, or at least tied to it. We're going to see today, and one of the actions that's going to come out of that faith is if you truly have faith in the Lord, if you truly fear Him, and that fear will result in faith, it will result in a belief, it will result in, it is seen in, in faith and belief and hope in Him. And what you're going to see in your life, we'll see that those who fear the Lord serve the Lord. Okay, so last week, those who fear the Lord, what actions will we see in their life? They will praise the Lord. Today, if you fear the Lord, you will serve the Lord. And we're actually going to see this in several places, but the first we're going to see it is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go down to verse 13. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go down to verse 13. We'll look at 13 and 14. We'll look at 13 uh, here. We'll get into 14 in, in just a little bit, actually. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 6. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. And what does that fear look like? Him you shall serve. And by His name you shall swear. If you fear the Lord, then what we will see in your lives is a service to Him. You will swear by Him. He, I mean, the Lord is going to be your ultimate standard. He's going to be your ultimate arbiter of, of truth. So if you fear the Lord, if you fear... So the Lord your God you fear, Him you serve. You fear Him, you serve Him. You fear Him, this is what we'll see in your life. You will serve the Lord. Now to understand what it means 
to serve the Lord, it's important for us to understand what that word is. The word there for serve is also the same word you're going to see uh, in your Hebrew Old Testaments and really in your Greek New Testaments as well, uh, is going to be the word for slavery. So it's the word used to describe like the, uh, like the, the Hebrews, the Jews, when they're in slavery to Egypt. This is the word that it, it used. So this, that's the idea. That's the word picture behind this. It, you and I, uh, if you fear the Lord, you are enslaved to God. Meaning just that God is your master. Your, your life is given in service, in, in slavery to him. To fear God is to be his servant. That's the level of service that we're talking about here. There's no tokenism, no token service here. It's not just saying, oh yeah, God's my master. You are serving him. You are enslaving yourself to him. If you're someone who fears the Lord, then the Bible is going to assume that if you fear the Lord, that you'll be serving the Lord. Because that's the natural result of fearing the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you're going to serve Him. Why? Because that is a fruit and has always been a fruit that fearing the Lord always bears. If you fear the Lord, you have faith in Him because of His uh, glory and His holiness, what is going to be a fruit that comes out of that inward reality is you will then serve a God so marvelous, so wonderful, so amazing. You see God is glorious. You've got faith in Him. You believe in Him. You hope in Him. So what are you going to do? You're going to serve Him. I mean, what else would you serve? The Bible certainly assumes if this is true of you, if you fear the Lord, then your life will be given in service to that God. The the Bible cannot imagine someone who fears the Lord and doesn't serve Him. In fact, if someone is not serving the Lord, it would be clear that the reason they're not serving the Lord is because they do not fear the Lord. Because if they feared the Lord, they'd certainly be serving Him. Listen to the Bible uh, assume uh, assume that, that servants of the Lord fear the Lord. Uh, listen to it. Assume that, that if you fear the Lord, uh, that you will serve Him. That to be His servant is to be someone who fears the Lord. Listen to Revelation chapter 19, verse 5. Revelation 19, verse 5. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants. So praise our God, all you His servants, all you who are serving Him, you're His servants. Look at the next part. You who fear Him. Small and great. So again, praise our God, you who are His servants, and to be His servants means that you what? You fear Him. You are those who have faith in Him because you are amazed by His glory and His holiness. If that's true, what can He assume you'll be? Well, then of course you're going to be His servant. If you are a servant of the Lord, it is assumed that you fear the Lord. Deuteronomy, this is not new for Revelation. Deuteronomy chapter 10, 20 and 21. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. And by his name you shall swear. Very similar to Deuteronomy 6. But, but, but here, fear the Lord again, fear the Lord and serve him. Hold fast to him. Swear by his name. Again, the, the, the fear of the Lord uh, results in service. But a service, it's not just seen in, in, in our sort of bodily actions. It's seen down, down to our very words. Like in Deuteronomy 6, here again we see that, that Christians swear only by the name of Yahweh, only by the Lord. It's the only name they, they swear by. The Christian, the Christian does not take the Lord's name in vain, but the Christian very much does take his name. When a Christian swears to something, they swear by the Lord God. And they do that to show that God alone is the one they serve. God alone is the one they fear. 
If they swear by anything else, by heaven or by earth or whatever, they're really trying to swear by something that is less than the one they really fear. Now, part of this still resides in, in, in court systems and such. When you hear people say, you know, this is so, uh, the truth, so help you God. Where you're swearing by, and, and you're invoking the name of God. The reason we do that is, is, is to, to recognize, hey, you're swearing by the Lord's name that this is true. Look at verse 21, what it says in Deuteronomy 10. He is your praise. We saw saw that last week. He is your God who has done these great and terrifying, there's the word for fear again, I think it it should be translated awesome, great and awesome things that your eyes have seen. So you see God, you fear God, and so you serve God. You serve God alone in your actions and in your words. Those who fear the Lord will serve the Lord. They'll serve the Lord in their actions. They'll serve the Lord in their words. Every part of them will be given in service to Him. They will enslave themselves to God. They will give themselves willingly to one who is so amazing, so wonderful, so holy, so glorious. If we truly see God for who He is, that's the the faith, the belief, the hope that we will have in Him. We will say, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Holified to you. It's yours, because what would I do with it compared to you? Why would I not trust you with my life? Who else could I trust? So if we fear the Lord, that's what we'll do. Our lives will be given in service to Him, and the Bible expects that. This isn't something that's like, hey, super Christians, or hey, ministers give their lives in service to the Lord. No, this is expected of all. What did it say in Revelation 19? Small and great. Every single Christian, it's expected. Those, if you're servants of God, You fear him, you serve him, small and great, all of us, that's what we do. You fear the Lord, then you serve the Lord. You are enslaved to the Lord. He is your master. But we'll see that those who fear the Lord don't just serve the Lord, they serve the Lord alone. Meaning that you're not just saying, I'm serving the Lord, you're only serving the Lord. You're not serving anything else in this world, including yourself. Your service is to God and to God alone. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going we're to go past verse 13 this time. Into verse 14. What well, this means? It's, if, if we are in awe of God, like the fear of the Lord means, we serve Him, but we only serve Him. Uh, look at what it says. It's the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. But let, look, at, look at how the passage continues in verse 14. You shall not. It's all right. You fear the Lord. What do you do? You serve him. Swear by his name and his name alone. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. If you fear the Lord, then what we see in our lives is a, is a service to him and a service to him alone. We swear by him alone. He is, again, our ultimate standard. And if that is true, then verse 14 is true, which is you do not give yourself to anything else. You do not give yourself to other gods. If we fear the Lord, we have one master, one person who directs your life. And it's not us, and it's not some other god. If we're serving the Lord, we are slaves of the Lord, and we serve Him, and we serve Him alone. Look at Joshua 24. This is that famous, that famous passage of Joshua's where he's like, as for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord, right? But look at what it says. Go down in verses 14 and 15. 
Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, and we know what's coming next, right? And serve him. Fear the Lord and serve him. So you fear him, you have faith in him, you're in all of his glory, his holiness. You fear the Lord. He is your God. You are his people. So what do you do? Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you fear the Lord, Joshua says, in line with what he heard from Moses, if, if you fear the Lord, then you serve the Lord. You do that in sincerity and in faithfulness. We'll talk about those words in just a second. But that also means, not only does it mean you serve the Lord, it means you don't serve any master. In fact, you get rid of any other master. You rid your house, in this case, sometimes quite literally, you rid your house of any other God, anything else that you would give your life to. You make sure. You don't, so in other words, you don't just do the positive of making sure, oh yes, I serve God. You look and make sure there, you do the negative as well, which is to make sure there's nothing else that you're serving. That there are no other gods that you have given your life to. No, there's nothing else that you're, that you're letting that be your master. You serve God and you serve God alone. You, you put away Whatever gods you used to serve, whatever gods your father served, whatever gods the people around you serve, those things you do not serve, meaning there will be temptations to serve whatever your parents taught you to serve by their good or bad examples. You know, my dad was like this, my mom was like that, and so that's how I'm going to be. You're basically just serving their God of a lack of self-control or indulgence or whatever, or, or the people around me, you know, all my friends, they talk about this. This is what's important to them. This is what they give their life to. This is how their lives are spent pursuing these things and that things then you end up serving these things, even in ways that cause you to not be able to serve the Lord like you know you should. What have you done? You're saying, I will serve the Lord, but I'll also serve this. This person will be my master. This person says, you do this on this day. Well, then I do that on that day. But the Lord says, you do this here. No, no, no. I've got other obligations, other things. You have other masters. The Lord says, if you serve the Lord, you are making sure. If you, if you fear the Lord, you're making sure that you serve the Lord and you're also making sure that you serve Him alone. Make sure that you do not stop short of that alone. Make sure that you do not think, well, I'll of course serve the Lord and not realize that you still got, like Rachel, you still got your household gods that you're holding on to. You're still holding on to these things. Make sure that you realize, if I if I'm truly am a slave of the Lord, if I truly fear him, if I have faith in him alone, if I hope in his steadfast love alone, and I, am, and I do that because I'm amazed by someone so glorious, so holy, there's nothing like him. If that is true, if you fear him like that, then you will serve him and you will make sure you serve nothing else. Because it would be foolish and it would be degrading for you to serve anything else. It'd be foolish because what are these things? Why would you trust them? Why would you give their lives to them compared to God? And, and it would be degrading because you'd be saying, yes, God, you're amazing, but this thing is just as amazing as you. 
Because in my life, I let both of you be my master. In my life, I'm putting you both on the same shelf. Now, I would never go around singing praises to this other thing, right? I don't think anybody's going to walk into your home and you're going to sing praises to these other things that have sort of taken your life, right? And you're like, oh, of course I only serve the Lord because I, I, I only go to church for the Lord, but it's what you give your life to. It's, what, it's who decides how you live. It's who is the master of your life. And those who fear the Lord, they make sure they serve the Lord and they make sure they're serving him alone. This is why Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, right? You cannot serve, you cannot serve two masters because part of serving the, the Lord is not just who you serve, but who you only serve. You, can't, you cannot be a slave to two masters. In the end, one of them will have you tr- your true heart. One of them you will love and one of them you will despise. One of them you will obey and one of them you will disregard. Eventually, the two masters will battle for, for, for control of your heart. And one of them will be the true master. So if you fear the Lord, you're going to make sure that that battle never takes place. Or you're going to realize that that battle's already been won. Because who, who could beat the Lord? What else would I have be my master? Who else could be my master? And so you will make sure there, there is only one master of your heart. If, if you fear the Lord, if you truly fear the Lord, if He's the most glorious and holy being in your life, if you, if you believe Him, if you, if, you, if you have your hope in Him, then you will give Him your life. And if you're giving your service to anything else, if it's true that you're serving him, but also serving anything else, if you're, if you're giving your service to anything else in life, it can only be because you actually think that thing is more glorious, more believable than he is. Or why else would you be doing what it says instead of what God says? The, the, the singularity of our service shows the sincerity of our fear. The, the singular nature of our service, and we serve Him and Him alone, shows how sincere our fear is. If we have real fear of the Lord, we will not serve anything else. It'd be impossible for anything to match who He is. 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings 17 is actually the most extensive chapter on fearing the Lord. Uh, fearing the Lord is all over the place, 2 Kings 17. Uh, fearing the Lord is worship of the Lord, but fearing the Lord is specifically also not worship of other gods. So not only do we make sure we serve him, we make sure we don't serve and worship anything else. Look at 2 Kings 17.35. 2 Kings 17.35. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, you shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them, or serve them, or sacrifice to them. So here again, we see the fear of the Lord tied to serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, praising the Lord, all the, thing, all the things we've seen already. So here we've got praise, like we already talked about last week. Now we've added to that service, and here you see it. If you fear the Lord, what will you do? You'll worship Him, you'll praise Him, you'll also serve Him. But what else do we see? You do not fear the other gods. So you fear the Lord and you do not fear the other. You're specifically making sure you're not fearing the other. You do not worship them. You do not serve them. You do not sacrifice to them. Verse 36, but you shall fear the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power, with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him and to him you shall sacrifice. You don't fear them. You don't serve them. You don't enslave yourselves to them, but you do fear the Lord. He's the only one you bow down to. 
In fact, uh, this passage is actually in response to when Israel didn't do those things, when they didn't fear the Lord and instead serve the other gods. So go back in 2 Kings 17, back to verse 7. So we're going to see that this verse saying, hey, you don't do this. He's going to say, because that's what you guys did before. This is what happened before. So look at verse 7. And this, this is the, the exile of Israel, occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against their Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and then the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. So here it, it says, look, Israel was sent into exile. Why? Because they feared other gods. They served these other gods. So that's why he says in verse 7, look, you do not do this. Don't serve these other gods around you. Don't serve them. Serve the Lord only because all of this exile that you're in, and hopefully we'll get out of all of this, comes from the fact that the people of God feared other gods. So we get this fear, this theme of the fear of the Lord being seen in, in service to God and in service to God uh, alone. In fact, great thing in 2 Kings 17, God won't even allow those who are not his people to serve other gods, especially in the promised land. So listen to what happens when the king of Assyria, when he repopulates Israel with people who do not fear the Lord. Listen to what happens. This is down in verse 24, 24 through 28. Listen to what happens when when you've got a people filling land who don't fear the Lord. What's the Lord going to do to make sure that they fear him and serve him? And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, uh, Sepharavim, uh, and placed them in the cities of Samaria. So this is sort of the birth of the Samaritans. Instead of the people of Israel. So he puts all these people from these other nations into Israel instead of the Israelites. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they what? They did not fear the Lord. So at the beginning of them living in the promised land, they didn't fear the Lord. So what's the Lord going to do? The Lord goes, well, they're not Jews, so it's not my fault. Not my problem, not my people. That's not what he does. What does he say? Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Right? The Lord sent lions. They didn't fear the Lord. So you got these people that are Babylonians. They don't fear the Lord. They're just sitting here by the king of Assyria. He's just repopulated the land with them. And what does the Lord do? The Lord sends lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them. And behold, they are killing them because they do not know the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of God, of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they'd carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how, what? How they should fear the Lord. So these people don't fear the Lord. So God teaches them to fear them. He uses lions, uh, he uses priests. 
uh, in the end, which I think is, is a great warning in our lives. God will teach you to fear the Lord. Uh, your options are he will either use lions to teach you to fear him or he will use uh, priests. Uh, so, I, so I guess you better listen up today or there might be a lion when you get home. Uh, I don't know, uh, but the Lord will, will teach you. Like if anyone's like, hey, you won't believe it. Like so-and-so got eaten by a lion. I'd be like, well, I thought they were nodding on Sunday, but I don't want to say anything. Uh, no, not really, not really. We don't have lions around here. Who knows what it'll be? Uh, okay, so again, so we don't just serve the Lord. We don't just serve the Lord, though, because we have to. So here you got the people of God coming. The Lord's going to make sure people serve him, make sure they serve him alone. They come serving their gods. He says, no, 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 you're going to serve me. Uh, he uses lines to teach them. Finally, uses priests to teach them, teach them uh, his law. Uh, we serve the Lord, not just because we have to. We serve the Lord because he is the only one worthy of our fear. The reason we serve the Lord is because none of these other gods are worthy of that uh, honor and glory that we, we give to him. No, none of the others are worthy of our, of our faith, of our belief, of our hope. None of the others deserve us to stand in awe of them because all the other gods are worthless. Look at 1 Chronicles 16. 1 Chronicles 16, uh, 25 and 26. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all God. So you fear God and you fear only God. Why? For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. The, uh, the reason you make sure that you serve the Lord and serve the Lord alone is not just because the Lord has commanded it, but because it would be foolish to serve anything else. Because anything else you would give your life to is worthless. These other gods are worthless. So why would you fear them? Why would you serve them? Why would you enslave yourself to these worthless gods? So when we fear the Lord, not only do we serve him, we serve him alone. But what does that look like? Okay, so we say, hey, you've got to enslave yourself to God. You've got to fear the Lord, but only fear him. And we're looking at it and go, okay, well, what's that going to look like in my life? Because anyone, again, anyone can say they fear the Lord. Anyone can even say, oh, yes, I'm a slave to the Lord. Anyone can say, yes, I serve the Lord but what will that look like? What does the service of the Lord look like? And again, I'm so thankful that the Lord in his word doesn't just tell us to enslave ourselves to him. He says, and this is what that slavery will look like. This is what serving the Lord will actually look like. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12, 14 to 15. He tells us what does it look like if you really are serving the Lord. And what we're going to see is that those who serve the Lord not only do they serve the Lord and serve the Lord alone, they serve the Lord in obedience to Him. They serve the Lord by obeying Him. 1 Samuel 12, 14 and 15. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord. And if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. So if you're truly a slave of the Lord, if you're truly serving the Lord, what will you do? What will that look like? Here, what does it say? You will obey his voice. You will obey his word and you will not rebel against it. You will obey his commands and you will not rebel against against them. If you do not obey the word of God, then you are not serving the Lord. You are not a slave to the Lord. What you are is a rebel. 
If you're not serving the Lord, it doesn't take him down from being Lord and King. What it does is it changes who you are. If you're not serving the Lord, it doesn't change who he is. It just changes who you are. It doesn't make him less glorious. It doesn't knock him off his throne. He's like, oh no. You know, I was so glorious and now I'm not. I mean, he's not Tinkerbell here. Or we all have to believe in him and like clap five times and then God's really magnified. What this is, is he is Lord. He is still God like that. What it's doing, though, is it's showing if you do not obey his voice, it doesn't change who he is, it changes who you are. What you are doing is you are not a slave, you are a rebel. I mean, so it says you, you uh, serve him, obey his voice, and do not rebel against the commandments of God. So the options here, when it, when it comes to our lives, is, is we as Christians, if you really fear him, and we, and we, and we, if, you're, if you fear the Lord, if you have faith in him, you're either going to serve him, but if you're not serving him, it's not that you're just doing some banal existence. You're not just coasting through life. If you're not serving the Lord, the other option is rebel. I mean, so that's what I want, to, I want to understand, because again, we'll set the bar so low and be like, Ugh, I'm not really a slave to him, but I'm not one of those bad guys either. None of those people living this life. And we'll fill out that blank however we want to fill it out. We'll find whatever sin we, we really want to be grievous, which is normally the one we don't do. So we, we, we find that and say, oh, these are the real bad guys. No, the Bible says you either fear the Lord, meaning you serve him, you're enslaved to him, serving him the way he says, or you are a rebel. That's the choice, Christian. You either, you either serve the Lord or you are rebelling against him. The way to, to see where you fall isn't, isn't by just your sort of fear announcements. But your fear actions, you do what he says. You don't just say, oh, I'm a, I'm a slave to the Lord. Oh, I fear the Lord. It's not just announcing your fear of the Lord. It's, it's seen in your life. And what specifically does he say here? What is the most basic definition of someone being your master? The most simple, basic definition is you do what they say. You do what they say. And if the Lord is your master... How in the world can you say the Lord is your master if you don't do what he says? I mean, that's as simple as it gets. Now, again, that doesn't change the Lord being your master. He's still your master. What it makes you is a rebel against your master. He's the one, he is Lord of all. And that includes Lord of you, whether you're rebelling or not. But here's the thing. If you, if you say you fear the Lord, if you say you have faith in him, but you're not serving him, what you're doing is you're rebelling. If you're not obeying him, I mean, this is the lowest bar of slavery here. The lowest bar is, if you fear the Lord, what do you do? You just obey his word. Just do what he says. Not even do what Chris says. Not even do what Zach says. What you do is you do what your master says. You obey his commandments and you do not rebel against them. If you fear the Lord, what will you do? You will serve him. What will that service look like? It will look like obedience. Uh, those who fear the Lord serve the Lord and that service is obedience. They will obey him. What he says they will do. But again, this service of the Lord is not just born out of some innate, you know, sort of uh, terrifying nature of the Lord. We don't just serve the Lord. Uh, th this service doesn't create a fear of the Lord. It's a result of the fear of the Lord. It, it, it's not the seed, it's the, the fruit. So it shouldn't surprise us then when we see 
that, that this service to God born out of our fear of the Lord is to be done with all our heart. So those who fear the Lord, they serve the Lord, they serve the Lord alone, they serve the Lord by obeying Him, and they serve the Lord wholeheartedly. They serve the Lord with all their heart. Look at back at 1 Samuel 12. I told you we were going to come back here, and I'm sure that made you really excited. I'm sure you were like, what? We get to come back here? Uh, and you probably have had your finger there the whole time. Well, now go ahead and flip back to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 24. Look at what it says. Only fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things God has done for you. So we only fear the Lord. Our fear is not to be spread around. We fear the Lord and no one else. We've kind of seen that with the, we other, with the other gods. And, and we've seen that we, we serve him. Well, this service is to be done what? With all our hearts. And th- throughout scripture, when we see someone who fears the Lord, their lives are given to God in service and to him alone. Not just part of them, all of them is given to the Lord. Their allegiance is to him. Their heart and their lives, everything about them is going to, he doesn't just drag them into service. They're not just like sort of crushed under the weight like God is some sort of Pharaoh master. This is, a, this, is a, this is a willful, joyful service because there's no one like him. It's this genuine service to the Lord. Are we slaves, Lord? Yes, but again, this is not some begrudging service to God that we do. We are in awe of God and our service is freely given to one so glorious and holy. I mean, we believe in him. We have faith in him. We hope in him. So when the Bible talks about serving the Lord, it's not just done outwardly, but done inwardly. So Joshua 24, 14 says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This, is, this passage is good for, for a couple reasons. One, again, we see fearing the Lord means enslaving yourself to him alone. One master, put away any others. But two, it shows us that our service is done in sincerity and faithfulness. He says, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him how? What does our service look like? What, is it, what does our slavery to the Lord look like? He says, serve the Lord in sincerity and in faithfulness. Those, the, those words in the Hebrew imply the first one, that we do it, that we do it completely. Fully. That's the word for sincerity. There. It's the word for completeness. You do something fully. You do something to the end. This is no half-hearted serving of the Lord. This is no semi-fear. If we fear the Lord, we serve Him with all our heart. We serve Him completely. We serve the Lord completely. So if you're going to say, I serve the Lord, to serve the Lord, you have to serve him completely. That, in, that, that insincerity there is, is the idea of completeness. You serve him completely. And we do so faithfully. This comes from the word, uh, the word for truth. We serve him in truth. It is a true service. It is a real service. Meaning it is possible to say you fear the Lord and for that to not be a true service. For you to say you fear him and to even do things that might make people think that you fear the Lord and that you're serving him, but you're not truly serving him. You are lying. The fear of the Lord results in 
true service, one that is not just outward, that everyone might look at and say, oh, that person is such a servant of the Lord. That person obviously fears the Lord. Look, because they serve Him. He said, look, if you're serving the Lord, you will serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness, in truth. It'll be a true service. Not just one that you do because you're afraid that everyone else is going to think bad about you if you weren't doing these things, right? Oh, I'm doing what, I'm doing what the Lord says. Uh, it's in his word. Look, they're obeying the Lord. Man, that's real. they must be a, have a real fear of the Lord. They must really be a servant of the Lord. But you know whether or not you're doing it in, in truth. And again, all of this is done not just completely, not just in truth, but with joy. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve with fear, rejoice with trembling. A little Hebrew parallelism here. Here again, we see that the fear of the Lord, serving the Lord, they're tied together, but also we get our emotions tied to this fear in the Lord. How is it done? You rejoice in your trembling. You rejoice in your... Now, this, this verse could have fit, at least on the outside of what we talked about last week. Your fear of the Lord is going to result in a praise of God. But the word rejoice here is a little bit more than that. It's not so much about, you know, sing a praise song to the Lord. The word for rejoice here comes from a word that means to spin. Yeah, but that would just be a weird translation. Like serve the Lord with fear and spin with trembling. Uh, it'd be like, uh, I mean, that'd be, it's a, it's a pretty interesting word picture. Uh, rejoice in fear, uh, spin and trembling. But again, this, the, the idea, idea here is that this fear and trembling before the Lord is, is not just a fear of being consumed by God. It's not just sort of this heavy holiness. There is a delight in your trembling. There is a delight in your, in your fear. It is a rejoicing. It, is a, it causes you to spin. It causes you to delight. There is a, this joy to our fear and therefore a joy in our service. We tremble before someone so glorious and holy. We cannot believe it. And yet this holiness and glory causes us great joy. We are in fear of him. We are in awe of him. And we wouldn't change anything about that. There is a great joy in our fear of the Lord uh, so that we are rejoicing even in our trembling. So when we fear the Lord inwardly, then, then outwardly we serve Him and Him alone. We serve Him completely. We serve Him truthfully. We serve Him joyfully. And, and those are good measures for your service. But again, measures we can't know, but you do. I mean, we can see your service, but we can't see your heart. And, and maybe it's time for the the, the fear of the Lord to, to grow in you both inwardly and outwardly. I mean, if you, you know if you fear Him, you need to serve Him. And maybe that conviction has grown. But maybe you see that, that for that service to grow, then you've got to nourish the roots of that service. Which means you need to make sure that, that you serve Him, but you do it completely and truthfully, and you do it in joy. Those who fear the Lord serve the Lord, but we must use God's definitions of what it means to serve Him. Because there are people all over the Lord who will say they have all over the world saying they have given their life in service to the Lord, but their definition of service does not match up with His. You fear the Lord when you're enslaved to the Lord, when you're enslaved to the Lord alone, when you're enslaved to the Lord, when you serve Him in obedience, and when you serve Him wholeheartedly. Do I fear the Lord? 
Well, do you serve him? And do you serve him like that? That's the question. So what can we do with this? Here's a couple of applications and things we need to take from this text. The things that we said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. What must we do? Well, we've learned, if you fear the Lord, you must be his slave. Christian, if you fear the Lord, you must be his slave. If you are not, you are a rebel. You are a rebel against your master. Those are your options. You fear the Lord, then you must serve him. Are you God's slave? Do you even want to be? Do you even want to be? When when I mention being a slave to God, when I mention giving your life in service to him, does your heart sort of rise up and try and quickly redefine what it means to be a servant of the Lord, which normally you just redefine it to whatever you're doing right now? Or do you say, I want to serve you, Lord. Now, what do you say that service looks like? Because if you let it be you defining the service, then who's really the master? You are. You're the one you're living as if you're the master. You're just being a rebel against the Lord, but you're living as if you're the master. If you fear the Lord, then you will serve the Lord and you'll serve the Lord uh, alone. So you must, you must, if you're going to fear the Lord, you must serve the Lord. If you fear the Lord, Christian, you must obey the word of God. You must obey the word of God. If you fear the Lord, that's what you must do. You cannot say you are God's servant. You cannot say, oh, I am a slave of the Lord if you do not obey his word. That's the lowest bar for service. That's the lowest bar for slavery is doing what your master tells you. If you're not obeying the word of God, Christian, then you do not fear him. You do not have faith in him because you're in all of his glory and holiness. Those are not true. If you're not obeying the Lord, then you do not fear the Lord. And if you do not fear the Lord, then you are certainly not ready for whatever spiritual attacks the evil one might bring your way. You cannot be. You are a city without walls. If you look at your life and there are things that the Lord has told you to do and you are not doing them, things that your Lord, your master has told you to do or told you to stop doing and you have not stopped doing them, you are a city without walls or at least with mighty gaps in the partitions. Because you, if you're not serving him, then you do not fear him. And what does a good soldier do? A good soldier strives to please the one who's enlisted him. And the one who's enlisted us has told us, you want to know what pleases me? When you fear me. And if you fear him, you will serve him. If you're not serving the Lord, if you're not obeying him, then you are not ready for the temptations that will come your way. You must serve the Lord by obeying his word. Are there any areas in your life you know right now either I am disobeying or I have disobeyed and never confessed my rebellion? Obedience is is not just a necessity for us as His servants. It is security. It is a defense against the evil one. In our obedience, we find the deliverance from evil that we have so asked for. And lastly, I would say, you need to make sure that you're serving the Lord both on the outside and the inside. I love these inward descriptions. 
of what it means to serve the Lord, that you serve Him completely, you serve Him truthfully, you serve Him joyfully. It would be good of you to ask yourself all of those questions. Because you might be saying, yes, I serve the Lord, I serve the Lord alone, I make sure I don't serve any other gods, I'm obeying His word, I'm doing all these things, but those are all outside sort of things. Inwardly, are you serving Him like this? Are you serving the Lord completely, like it said? Or are there areas in your life that you're, if you're honest, you're saying, you know, I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to the Lord in, in, in this area. Or there are areas that, that I choose, uh, that I choose how I'm going to live. So, so maybe you say, oh, I give to God this area and this area and this area and this part of my life and that part of my life. And, and as you do that, it might sound like a thousand thises. But if there is one area in your life that you say, but not this. then your service and therefore your fear is not complete. He says, serve the Lord in completeness. Serve him in sincerity is how the ESV translated it. Serve him completely, really mean it and mean it all the way. Is there an area that you say, Lord, you are not my master here. Or at least you're not living like he's your master there. Is there any area of your life where you are a rebel, then you are not serving him completely? Maybe you need to look at your life and it's not the completeness aspect. Maybe it's the truthfulness. Maybe on the outside, it seems like no one would deny that you serve the Lord. But when you look at your life, could you say that it is true service, that your service goes down into your bones, that it's born out of your heart, that it's, that it's real that you're not just dressing like a slave for everybody else to see. That you're not just doing those things so that you can fit in at a church. Or you're doing these things because you don't have a lot of friends. And here you finally found a place where they really want to be your friend. And you can really fit in. And all you have to do is start doing this thing and that thing and showing up on Sundays. And everyone's going to think, hey, you're wearing the slave outfit too. And you're like, yeah. But on the inside, you know you don't mean it. You know you're just lonely or just looking for acceptance, or just looking for a place to belong, or just looking for a way to ease the guilt that you feel. But you're not really a slave in your heart. I think all of us need to look at our service to the Lord and say, do I mean this? Do I want to be His slave? Not just on the outside, but on the inside. Is He a master that I adoringly bow down to? Which gets to our next thing. Maybe for us, the root problem for our services is one of joy. Do you serve the Lord with joy? I mean, you're supposed to serve the Lord with such joy that it it causes you to spin. Now, we are not going to start adding spinning to our song service. uh, But the idea holds true, right? Or, Or God would have used a different word than the word for spin. And it's not like God didn't know that one day there'd be Pentecostals or anything like that. Uh, we recognize that, hey, the Lord says, spin. I mean, this is the level of heartfelt rejoicing. It's as if you're spinning with trembling. It's such a great word picture. Our Lord really knows how to use words. Uh, it is such a great picture that you're trembling in that way. But as you tremble, you are rejoicing. There's rejoicing in your trembling. A joy that is as if on the inside you are, you are spinning. There should be a gladness, even a giddiness to our Christian service. 
being a slave should bring us great joy. Well, how do you know if it brings you great? Are you constantly kicking against the goads of the Lord's goading? When the Lord goads you to do this or that, are you constantly kicking against the goads? Because the Lord's telling you, he's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Are you, we cannot perpetually be teenage Christians, right? Where every time the Lord says to do something, we go, oh, can it be something else? I'm going to keep reading till I get to a passage that is something that I really want to do. And then I will do that. Like when your kids are going through their to-do list and they're like, no, 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 no. Oh, I want to do that one. I call this one. I get to do that one. And you say, no, 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 you do this. Oh. Is that, is that what you're like to the Lord? Or is there a joy in the church? When the Lord tells you, my people who are called by my name, they live like this. And you go, yes, yes, and amen. That is what I will do. And I will do it with joy because it will show that I am your people and you are my God. If we truly fear the Lord then we will serve him with joy. Is there joy in your service? Or can you say, you know what? A lot of times he's having to pull the service out of me. We must serve with joy. There should be joy even in our slavery. All right, let's pray. We've given you things to look at, things to think about. You must be a slave of the Lord. Can you honestly say to God that you are uh, his servant? that he has your life, that you are his slave? Are you serving him alone? Or are there other things in your life that are grasping for your attention, grasping for your devotion? That you will gladly give up things that God tells you to do because you really want to do those things. Those things are dangerous masters, ready to make you a rebel. Are you obeying the Lord? Service to God is seen in obedience to him. Are there things in your life that you should be doing that you know your master has told you to do and you're just not and you're still not? Are you living in rebellion? Are there things that you know you should stop doing and you're still not stopping doing them? You continue to do what he's told you not to do. That is not service to the Lord, which means you do not fear the Lord, which means you have opened yourself up to spiritual attack of all sorts of kind. On the inside, is your service done completely? Is done all the way? Does he, have, does he have your service in every area of your life? Or you're looking and saying, search the corners of my heart, Lord? Or are you trying to hide things in the corners of your heart? Are you trying to put things in closets you hope he doesn't look and passages you hope you never read? Or you hope you don't remember? Are you serving him truthfully? Or are you just putting on the outfit of servant of the Lord? Are you just putting on the costume? So that everyone else will think you're great. Everyone else will think you're a servant. But you know. You know it's not true. Repent. Quit being a rebel. And serve Him. See His glory. See His holiness. And serve Him. In faith. Stand in awe of Him. And do what He says. And do so joyfully. Has your service to the Lord been one of joy? Maybe you've been sort of just grinding out your service. Just just knuckling down and doing what your master tells you to do. But you are not rejoicing in your trembling. Listen, there is, there's, there, is, there is some good in knuckling down and doing what your master says, whether you want to do it or not. There is good in that. You can read the household codes by Paul. and No, it's good when we obey our masters, even when we don't want to. 
But when the Lord tells you to do something, pray that not only would you do it, but that the Lord would give you a heart that rejoices in the doing. That serves Him because you love serving Him. Serves Him joyfully. That you fear the Lord and you rejoice in your trembling. May the Lord grow your fear and may He grow your joy. Father, we come to you today, you and we, we are in awe of you, even with our heads bowed now, Father. We are bowing down before you, just as you told your people to bow down before you and not to these other gods, Father. We bow before you, one who is so holy, uh, so glorious, Father. We are amazed at who you are. And so we are here in faith, in worship. We believe you. We hope in all that you have said. We have gathered together because there's no God like you. And Father, our desire is that that fear that we have, would be seen in our lives. Seen in, like we saw last week, in the praise that, that truly this week, the volume of our praise would have been louder because we realized that how loud we are shows how much we think of you. And so since our value of you has grown, our volume should have grown. And so, Father, may, you, may, you, may, may we have been obedient to what we saw last week. You told us over and over, we fear you, we will praise you. Father, may that be the first way we check our rebellion. We saw last week, you tell us over and over the value and importance of praise and the reality of praise in your people. Did we obey that? Or are we already rebelling right off the bat? And so, Father, today we come and we ask, God, that we would be your slaves, that we would serve you, that we would not rebel against you. That because we fear you, Father, that we would lay our lives down as living sacrifices in light of all that you've done for us, all that you are and all that you've done would cause us to give our lives to you. Our lives that are ours only because they've already been bought with a price by Christ. I mean, we're all here. We're claiming that we are Christians. We're claiming that we bear his name. We know that the lives that we have come solely from him, that we have been reborn with new lives. How can we hold on to them as if they are ours? Rebels. Father, teach us to serve you, to serve you alone, to serve you in obedience, and to serve you wholeheartedly, completely, Truthfully, joyfully. Master, teach us those things for our good and for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I just couldn't do it without the cardigan. I had the cardigan off because I was hot. And then I just couldn't. I could not have the cardigan on. Uh, sorry, Leslie. Leslie's like, don't do it. You're going to be hot. And I am hot already. So you are correct, madam. Uh, but anyway, actually, let's, let's turn in our Bibles, not to Matthew 6 today. We'll turn to Psalm 147. Uh, Psalm 147, of course, we're still working off of Matthew 6. But let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word just to make sure we, we keep our mind uh, where we're at here and why we're learning about the fear of the Lord in the middle of learning about the Lord's Prayer, in the middle of learning about prayer in general. So just to remind us what has been our scriptural uh, leaping point, um, point upon point upon point. Psalm 147, 
beginning in verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. So, uh, in in the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at the fear of the Lord, and what we've seen so far in the fear of the Lord is given a a pretty good definition. It's easy to say, because I I made up the definition, so hopefully I think it's a good one. A pretty good definition, biblical uh, definition of what the fear of the Lord is. It is to, to, so to have faith in God because uh, you are in awe, or you are amazed by His glory and His holiness, that is to fear the Lord. Uh, so all those things are, are captured in the various passages that talk about what the fear of the Lord is. But now the Bible also tells us, not just what the fear of the Lord is, but the Bible tells us what it looks like in our lives, that there are certain actions that God says, if you fear me, you will do this. If you do not fear me, your life will be like this, or it won't have uh, this. We'll see some of that today, uh, where the Lord says these sorts of things need to be in your life. So we've looked at those who fear the Lord uh, praise the Lord. Uh, we saw last week those who fear the Lord serve the Lord. They serve the Lord, serve the Lord uh, alone. They serve the Lord uh, obediently. Uh, they serve the Lord wholeheartedly. They serve the Lord by obeying Him, by obeying His Word. They serve the Lord wholeheartedly. We saw that last week. But we've got a, a few more actions, a few more things that the Bible says, hey, these are necessary fruits of the fear of the Lord. Where if you don't, because there's all sorts of things we could say, oh, I think someone who does this, that's probably a sign that they fear the Lord. Maybe someone who does that, that's a, that's a good sign that someone has faith in the Lord and they're amazed by His glory and His holiness. They, they're someone who fears the Lord. But these are the things that the Bible explicitly says, these things show someone who fears the Lord. These are the fruit of those who fear the Lord. We know the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the fear of the Lord. Uh, These are the things that the Bible says will uh, be there. We've got a a few more necessary uh, fruits that that need to be there if we want to handle our spiritual battles well, if we want to be good soldiers, good soldiers who desire to please the one who enlisted us. And what pleased the one who enlisted us? That we fear Him. So then we ask, well, well, do I? Do I fear the Lord? I want to be ready for these spiritual battles. Do I fear Him? Well, look at your life. Do you see the fruits of praising the Lord? Do you see the fruit of serving Him, of serving Him alone, of, and that's witnessed by, by obeying uh, His Word? And those things are present in those who fear the Lord. If you see those things in your life, if you've seen those things in the last few weeks, great. Uh, not all of the Bible is meant to be a failing test, right? You're not, always, you're not supposed to see none of the fruit, right? So if it says the fear of the Lord is this, you shouldn't expect, well, I'm not doing that or that. I mean, the Holy Spirit is real, so the Bible assumes that you will see these fruits of the Spirit in your life. And one of the things that the Spirit does, He teaches you to fear the Lord, so you'll see these sorts of things. So hopefully, as we've seen that those who fear the Lord praise the Lord, you've said yes and amen. And hopefully, as we saw that those who fear the Lord serve the Lord, you said yes and amen, uh, because you saw the Spirit was working these things in you, that your faith in Christ and therefore the work of the Spirit was real in you. So let's, let's continue on and see more uh, of how God trains us for battle. Now, if you didn't see those, also, yes and amen, great. That's also how God trains His troops. That's how He trains His soldiers, is to show us where we're, fa- we're failing Him. So, so ask Him for a greater fear 
Ask Him that you would praise Him more, that you would serve Him and Him alone. And then get to work on those things that He's shown you. But, but let's continue. Let's add more to that. Let's add more things that we can see. Uh, and the Lord can either encourage us that we see these things. Uh, the Spirit can testify to us that we are truly sons of God because we fear the Lord. And we know we fear the Lord because we see these things in our life. So let's look at another fruit of those who fear the Lord. So those who have faith in the Lord, or those who have the fear of the Lord, uh, have faith in Him because of His glory, because of His holiness, people like that, people who fear the Lord in that way, uh, they will praise the Lord, they will serve the Lord. Now we're going to add to that. Those who fear the Lord, depart evil and do good. Depart evil and do uh, good. Now, we could have talked about those two things separately. And in reality, we will. This week is going to be a week on departing evil. Next week will be a week on departing good. But what we're going to see uh, is the Bible will often, and in this passage where it talks about the fear of the Lord, is going to twin these things together. It's going to pull these things together in talking about those who fear the Lord. That those who fear the Lord have these dual reactions, these, these paired responses. They depart evil... And they do good. If you're thinking New Testament-y, as we often do, this would be like Colossians 3. They put off and they put on. So they put off evil, they put on good. They depart evil and they go after and they do uh, the good. So let's actually look at Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Psalm 34 always makes me laugh. uh, Because it's this great psalm, so deep and, and and truthful, I guess you'd say. And yet it was written, it tells us, by David uh, when he was making himself crazy, uh, that, where he makes himself go crazy in front of the king and has spit running down his beard. It's like, this is when David wrote that. So I always picture that uh, as I'm reading this psalm. It just makes me smile even as I, as I get into it. But it, it's, a, it's a good context. I love that context because this is a time, uh, this is written during a time in David's life where he is filled with fear. He has, right before this instance that is written about in Psalm 34, he has just fled from Saul. Out of fear, it says of Saul. He was afraid of Saul, and so he fled. He ran. He ran here, and now he's afraid of this king. So he's going to make himself look crazy. Now, fear is all over David's life as he writes this psalm. So remember, that. he's in a world of, of fearing those around, of fearing worldly sort of fear. But it's during this time that David's going to write about fear, but not write about those types of fear. He's going to write uh, about the fear of the Lord. He's going to teach them. Psalm 34 is going to teach the people that he's right, that the answer to all of his troubles was singular. It was the fear of the Lord. So in a time where he's fearing Saul, he's fearing this, he's got fear all around. He says, what's the answer to all of his troubles the fear of the Lord. And he's going to tell them that's the answer to your troubles as well. That's kind of the point of Psalm 34. He's, so he's going to tell them as we, we'll, we'll move through Psalm 34, but he's going to tell them the, the blessings of the fear of the Lord. And then he's going to tell them how they too can fear the Lord and what the fear of the Lord will look like in their life. So let's actually start in verse 1. So remember, David writing this uh, right after being crazy, spit running down his, spit running down his beard. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So remember this when we get into 
that this is going to be about the fear of the Lord. Remember we said those who fear the Lord will praise Him. Here He's in a very scary situation, very fearful situation, but what is His mouth filled with? Praise. I'll bless the Lord at all times. So the fear of the Lord is still keeping him in a moment of praise when he's running for his life in several ways. Having that crazy, something we've probably never been so afraid that we thought we had to do. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So it's not, not exactly the situation you think that someone would be like, hey, join me in magnifying the Lord. I just had to act crazy and, and run away from this guy, but yet I'm magnifying the Lord because I cried out. I sought the Lord and he answered me. So here we see God is delivering. This is the, if you go back to the Lord's prayer, this is David's deliverance from evil. The Lord has delivered him, right? He delivered me from all my fears. In this case, he delivers him not from evil, but from all of his fears. Now, this word for, for fear is, a, is an interesting word. It's not the same word we see in the fear of the Lord. It's actually a word that means strange things. He saved me from the strange things. It's the word that, that Abraham will use when he says, I am a stranger in the land, or the strange woman uh, that's talked about in like Proverbs. That idea that, that he strange, he saved me from that strange stuff, the, the strange things that, that, that brought him fear. The Lord is delivering him from the sort of strange things that frighten us, the abnormal things that frighten us. And we all know the, the feeling of those strange things uh, when they enter our lives. There's, there's things that make the hair stand up on the back of our neck uh, that, that sort of very much fit with this uh, discussion of, of, of spiritual warfare here. Uh, but, but David, he, he talks more about his deliverance down in verse 5 and 6. Look what he says. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. And then we, we get into the fear of the Lord and, and the blessings that come with it. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now we've already talked. We've already talked about this passage. We already talked about this idea uh, when we talked about God's use of the angelic in delivering us uh, from evil. I encourage you to refresh yourself on, on those texts if you don't recall them, or if you're like, "Wow, I've never seen that verse before." Uh, we might have spent probably fifteen to twenty minutes on that verse uh, one time. So. Uh, Remember it or the Lord will send lions. Remember we learned that last week. Remember it or you get lions. Uh, but this, this for David, this is like an Elisha moment for David. Remember when Elisha Elisha's like, the, allows the servant to see that the, the mountains are, are filled with the, the chariots and the horsemen of the Lord. These assume, We assume fiery uh, chariots of, of the Lord. Well, here, David is surrounded by Saul. He's surrounded by this king of Gath. But even more importantly, he finds out, he's surrounded, because he fears the Lord, he's surrounded, not by them, but by the angel of the Lord. And he says, this is true, not just for him, it isn't just true of the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Messiah is, when he's afraid, he's surrounded by the angel of the Lord. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So he fear the Lord, again, the angel of the Lord encamps uh, around you, and, and he delivers them. That's why we mention this verse in delivering us from evil. Look at what he says in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. 
Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. So here again, David, in the, in the middle of this great fear, is writing about our chief fear and how that chief fear is actually uh, a blessing. Be in awe, he said, be in awe of God. And that will help you stand against these, against these other enemies. You'll know you'll have no lack. And look at verse 10. The young lions, young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So even young, virile lions go out and they're hungry. You see lions are laying around all the time. Uh, they're hungry, they're ready to eat. Pull up in your, you know, your Jeep and they look at you and think, is this an option? Yes or no? Uh, but that's not true, he says, of those who seek the Lord. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And I really want us to focus on verses 11 through 14 there. Verses 11, look at verse 11. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Now, now that's an important verse because David has just laid out. These first 10 verses are him just laying out how amazing the fear of the Lord is. So here, the the fear of the Lord for the, the Christian, the saint that he's talking to, it doesn't just make sense to fear the Lord because He's amazing, He's glorious, He's holy. It's not just it makes sense. It's beneficial. Fearing the Lord is not just the path of obedience. It is the path of blessing. It is, it is the solution to our prayers for deliverance from evil. And that's what David's talking about here. In a time when David needed to be delivered from evil, where did he turn? What delivered him? The fear of the Lord. And here David says, the fear of the Lord, it's that amazing. And when we see that, we go, yes, yes, that's what I need in my life. That's what I need for the the strange things that I fear that might come my way. What strangeness is going to come my way? What strangeness am I going to do? What anxieties do I have? And that's what anxieties often are. They're fear of the strange things. Not things we're experiencing, but strange things we're afraid we might experience. You know, I love this passage for those of you who struggle with anxiety. The fear of the Lord is your answer to anxiety here. So, so yes, I want that. If it, if, it, if it kills those enemies, I want that. If it delivers me from my enemies, that's what I want. I want that deliverance. And what does David say in verse 11? Well, come, listen, and I will teach you to fear the Lord. So the fear of the Lord does all this. We go, yes, yes, yes. He says, come, come. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Verse 12, what man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Again, let's get out of the purely, you know, sort of metaphorical here. This is what David has been risking, and this is why David's been running. And so like, hey, David, you know, how did, how did you get out of it? How'd you get out of it? You know, you're, you're running away so you don't die. If you want to not, if you want to live and not die and live a good life, uh, what did you, David, they said, what do you do? David says, I'll tell you. You want to get out of situation, when you're in a situation like that? You want to get, in a, get out of a situation where you think my only answer is to pretend, pretend to be crazy and put spit on my beard. Like that's the level of this is bad, right? Not like I think I got off the wrong exit ramp in the wrong part of town, uh, but like, and I need to turn around, but like I need to spit on myself. Like that's, that's a level of anxiety. You says, you want to know how to get out of situations like that? You want to live a rich, long, blessed life? A good life? 
with full of days and full of full days? You want to know the answer? He says, fear the Lord. That's how that happens. And then he says, and I'll tell you how to do that very thing. Verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What we have here is a, is a little bit of a chiasm with turn from evil and do good in the middle. In, in other words, uh, we, we've got a word triangle. A chiasm is just a word triangle where the point of the triangle is the point. Right? Chiasm, word triangle, point is the point. So the point of the triangle is, is the point. And, and that's what we've got here. In this case, we have an evil thing to flee at the start of verse 13. Then the call to depart from evil and do good, and then a good to pursue. So, depart from evil. Here's an example of the evil you need to depart. Depart from evil and do good. And then here's a good you need to do. So you've got an evil you should depart from, a good you should do, and right smack in the middle is the call that both of those are doing. Depart evil and do good. So, in this case, fleeing from certain speech, Uh, and pursuing peace, those point us to the ultimate item. So fleeing this type of speech, pursuing peace, the ultimate point there in verse 13, the great general rule is depart evil and do good. So as we're building out our our fear of the Lord sort of bingo cards here, uh, or the fruit of those who fear the Lord, what does the Bible tell us that we will see? That those who fear the Lord, they praise the Lord. Those who fear the Lord, serve the Lord. And those who fear the Lord, they depart evil and do good. That's what verse 13 is telling us. David says, I will teach you how to fear the Lord. This is what you need to see in your life. This is what you need to have. Depart evil, do good. And it's no surprise, again, that we would see those paired together. They're paired together often in Scripture, passages where the Lord will tell us to, that those who fear Him do this and, uh, or don't do this and, and do this or do this by avoiding this and do this by pursuing uh, that. Uh, and so here we've got a passage that begins, and we'll look at this first part here, that those who fear the Lord depart evil. So let's, let's focus on that part. They're, they're paired together, but we don't have time to look at them both together because there's a lot. There's a lot in that fruit of depart evil and a lot in the fruit of, of do good. Uh, today, let's look at the, the idea that those who fear the Lord depart evil. That that's part of those who fear the Lord. And there are many passages that will show us that those who fear the Lord, they, they depart evil. They turn away from evil. They get away. They flee from evil. That's the, that's the action. That's the fruit that is evident in someone's life. If they fear the Lord, if they fear the Lord, they do this. So today, those who fear the Lord depart from evil. Okay? Those who fear the Lord depart from evil. Uh, let's look at that. Uh, look at verse 14. Again, go back uh, in Psalm 34. Look at what it says. Uh, turn away from evil and do good. That those who fear the Lord Turn away from evil. Now, that, that word in Psalm 34 for, for turn away from evil is, is more than just a word that means to turn from it. It doesn't mean just to look away look away from it, like evil's there and you're just turning from it. This is why the ESV adds the word away, like the idea of getting away from uh, evil. And, and, and that's what that word is. It's, a, it's an action word that implies not just that we don't want anything to do with evil, but that we want to get away from evil. And we want to get away from it. So, for example, uh, in, in Psalm 6, uh, verse 8, 
Depart, the word is translated depart. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Get away. Don't just turn away from me. Get away from me. Uh, Psalm 39.10. Remove. It's translated remove your stroke. Maybe best Psalm 119.29. Put false ways far away from me. So when David says that we're to turn away from sin, he doesn't mean that we're just not supposed to pay attention to sin or ignore it or don't look at it. What he means is we must, if we fear the Lord, we will get as far away from sin as we can. In David's case in in Psalm 34, you're, you're not just removing the evil, you're removing yourself. That's why we say depart from evil. Get away from it. And for the Christian, that's it. You don't just go up to the line of evil and go, ooh, there's evil. I should stop there. It's right there. But I'm not going to commit it because I'm not looking at it. I know it's right there. What does the Christian do? The Christian gets as far away from evil as they can. They don't want to find out where the bar is, you know, like they're playing some sort of religious hokey pokey and they're just trying not to nudge it you know, with their nose and knock the bar off. We, we, is that hokey pokey? What is that called? No, that, that's the dance. What's the limbo? Limbo. I'm a Baptist pastor. I'm not into these worldly things like you guys are. I had to, I had to research that on the internet. I was like, what do, what do non-pastor people do for fun? Uh, yeah, the limbo. Yeah, so they're going, we don't want to do that with sin. We don't want to get as close as we can without touching it. We want to get as far away from it. We want to depart from evil. And that's what someone who fears the Lord, they do it. And we're going to see more why as we develop out this departing from the fear of the Lord. But that's what the Christian is supposed to do. The Christian, we don't just turn our back on evil. We remove it. We get away from it. We depart from it. And a great example of this is the example of Job. And I know as soon as I said that, everyone, ugh, right? I don't want to be Job. Don't make me Job. But a good consistent description of Job is both that he feared the Lord, and with that, twinned with that, that he turned away from evil, that he turned away from sin. Not just societally, but in his own life. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 1. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So, so Job is living this life of, of turning away from evil. What does that look like? I, I don't love the translation blameless. I, I prefer the King James translation here that he was perfect uh, and upright. Uh, side note there, that word for perfect, this is a plug for Wednesday night, that word for perfect there is the word thumim uh, for urim and thumim that we're going to get into in Exodus 25 in a couple weeks for our own sort of Christian strange things. What in the world is that? We'll talk about that. Uh, the word thumen is the, thumen is the word uh, translated perfect there or blameless uh, in the ESV. Uh, so he was a, a perfect and upright man who, who feared the Lord, who feared God and turned away from evil. So there's, feared God, so he departed from evil. Got away from evil. So you see the same thing. Just a couple of verses later, in verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There, let, let that go back to last week. Those who fear the Lord, what do they do? They serve the Lord. And the Lord says, yeah, that's what Job is. Job is my servant. He serves me. He is my, again, that's the word for slave. Have you considered my slave Job? Have you considered my servant Job? Job, because he fears the Lord, is serving the Lord. 
just like we saw last week. And so what is he doing? He's not just fearing the Lord. That's or, uh, fearing the Lord. He's not just serving the Lord. It's one of the fruits that there is none like him on earth, a perfect and upright man who fears God and turns away from, from evil. See the same thing in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 3. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, there's none like him on earth, a perfect and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. You start to put those, those verses together. Two things, at le- two things at least are clear. One is that this was a consistent part of Job's life. It was a, depar- a, a defining part of Job's life was that he departed from evil. He's not like, hey, don't you remember that one time Job departed from evil? You remember there's one time that Job, he, did, he, was, he was perfect and upright that one time, and so he was departing from evil. Do you remember that, Satan? Go see if he'll do it again. This is a consistent, consistent part of Job's life because he feared the Lord. Because he feared the Lord, he was always departing from evil. So it, it, it teaches a consistent part of Job's life. It also shows it is, is really important because God keeps repeating it. He repeats that phraseology over and over again. He was a perfect and upright man uh, who feared, the, feared God, turned away from evil. Over and over and over. It, God obviously wants us to remember that description of Job. That's who he was. This important thing Job, that God repeats. He didn't just say it once in chapter 1, verse 1. He's like, hey, I want you to say that. Say that line over and over and over. Get it, get it in their heads. But what's important is that's not, that's not some special Jobine description. That's not just for the people who are good enough that they uh, are living such a life of fear of the Lord that, that Satan is, is, is looking at them. Uh, this is a description that should be true of, of, of all believers, of anyone who fears the Lord. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Because you might look at it and go, well, I'm not Job. And as it says, no one in Job's, in Job's time was Job. So I can't feel bad because it already says there was no one like him, you know, that was, that was uh, as perfect and upright as he fearing God and departing from evil. I can't, it can't be expected for me to do that. But look at what it says, Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. For anyone, not just Job, for anybody. This isn't, this isn't in Proverbs where he's like, hey, son, I'm about to throw down a passage that's just for Job, so you can ignore it now. He says here, anyone, that the fear of the Lord is going to bear the fruit of turning away from evil, of departing from evil. So if you fear the Lord, what you will see in that person's life, what you will see in your own life will be a fruit of someone who fears the Lord is they will not just ignore evil, they will depart from evil. And what does it mean to depart from evil? Well, we get a pretty good description as the scripture starts to fill this out. When it says depart from evil, this might seem kind of easy, basic, sort of Christianity here or, or basic Bible, but to depart from evil is to depart from sin. Depart from sin. And we're going to talk about why it's important to understand the distinctions there. But those who fear the Lord depart from evil by departing from sin. So when the Bible describes the, the life of people who fear the Lord, one thing that you see is that they turn away from evil, and, and that's going to be... They're not just going to turn away from evil just in general or or societally. What it means is they turn away specifically from sin in their own lives. And the reason that's important to point out is if we're not careful, we can take this depart from evil to result in some sort of monasticism. 
right? Where we're just looking at, oh, that's evil. I'm going to depart from it. Uh, and then you end up with Christians who aren't doing things like, uh, like Christians witnessing at the, the pride events, like that were going over the weekend. Oh, I'm supposed to depart from evil, so I can't even be there to tell them that their deeds are evil, because this is evil, i got to depart from it. This is not what it's talking about. This is not creating some level of monasticism where we sort of sit here and the gates of hell are not going to prevail, and we're just hoping that's happening because we're, we're sort of uh, cloistered, cloistered up. Uh, rather, what it's talking about is turning from evil as a, as a personal separation, a personal departure from sin itself. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20 is a great example of this. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Okay, so here the Lord is, here the Lord is stretching the people. Uh, the Lord has come to test you. Remember, that's that word for stretching. Think, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into stretchings from when we talked about the Lord's prayer earlier. The Lord is, has come here to stretch the people, but for what purpose? So that they might not fear, but instead fear Him. And what will be the result of them fearing Him? What action will that involve in their life? What fruit will they see? Really, it's just one action, or, or it's really an inaction. I'm going to teach you to fear me, so that what? So that you might not sin. The implication being, if you fear me, you will not sin. Which again, fits with the idea of those who fear the Lord. They turn away from sin. They depart from sin. They depart from evil. In fact, a a life of sin actually shows a lack of fear for the Lord. So someone who's not departing from evil, and specifically not departing from sin in their lives, is showing they don't fear the Lord. In fact, quite the opposite. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 2. Whoever walks in uprightness... Fears the Lord. We saw that. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 verse 1. Job chapter 1 verse 8. Job chapter 2 verse 3. We saw that. But he who is devious in his ways, the opposite of walking upright, he who is devious in his ways despises him. So whoever walks in uprightness, walks the, that word for uprightness is the word for straight. Whoever walks the straight path, whoever walks straight, Fears the Lord. Whoever does what they're supposed to, doesn't depart to the right or to the left from what the Lord has commanded. They've been obedient. They serve Him fully and faithfully as a slave. Everything we saw last week. Those who do that, who serve the Lord, they walk in this uprightness. And that, that shows that they fear the Lord. But he who is devious in his ways, the idea being not walking on the path, but wandering off of it. And the word devious implies doing it intentionally. Intentionally walking off of it. That's not a sign of a fear, the fear of the Lord. He says someone who does that despises the Lord. Despises the Lord. So if you've got someone who instead of departing from sin, so you depart from sin and you walk the way of uprightness, as we'll see next week. But you have someone who, not, not only do they not depart from sin, but they go towards sin. They intentionally get off the path in order to pursue the sin. That person is showing, yeah, they don't fear the Lord. And in fact, they despise him. At least that's what the Lord says, and I assume that he knows. Isaiah 63, verse 17. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our heart, so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. So so here we see a a hard heart and, and wandering ways 
Isaiah says, are a sign that someone doesn't fear the Lord. So we've got, we, we're wandering from our ways. Now, the, the Lord has done this, which is great. This is a great passage to talk about all sorts of implication of what the Lord is, is doing here. But the, the, the Lord is, is causing them to wander from his ways. He's hardening their heart so they don't fear him. And they don't fear him. So what's the result? If they've got these wandering ways. You know they don't fear him. Why? Because look at their lives. He says, we're wandering. We're wandering from your ways. Our hearts are hard to you. We don't fear you. He says, return to us. Change, change our hearts. Change our hearts. Invocation being, make us fear you, because if we fear you, what are we going to do? We're going to quit wandering from your ways. So those who fear the Lord will depart from evil by departing from sin. Okay, so those who fear the Lord, they depart from evil. They depart from evil specifically by departing from sin in their lives. Now that those who fear the Lord would turn away from evil, they would depart from evil. That just makes sense because of the nature of the fear of the Lord, what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord, it's that faith in God where you are amazed by Him. You're amazed by His glory, amazed by His holiness. And it's seen in that you serve the Lord. You serve the Lord like we saw last week. You serve Him uh, wholeheartedly, completely, truthfully, joyfully. We love to serve the Lord. We don't serve the Lord just because we have to. We, we serve the Lord because we love the Lord. We love to serve the Lord because we love the Lord. And so well, then when we see about departing from evil... Well, of course we depart from evil, and of course we depart from sin because we love the Lord. And with that is going to be those who depart from uh, evil, depart from evil because they hate evil. Okay, so we, last week we saw those who serve the Lord, they serve the Lord because they love Him. Here we're going to see those who depart from evil, depart from evil because they hate evil. They hate evil. God is not pulling them away from their lollipop, Right? God is rescuing them from what they know to be disaster. Just as he said in Isaiah 63, return to us, O Lord, save us from this reality. We're wandering from your ways. Our hearts are hard. We do not fear you. Return and save your servants, please. And the Lord is saving, when the Lord is calling those who fear the Lord to depart from sin, he's not, he's not calling us from something that we love. He's, he, that we're responding because, this is why this is a fruit of those who fear the Lord. Those who fear the Lord are amazed by him. Of course, they're not going to want anything to do with sin. Of course, they're going to get away from it. They're going to part from it because they hate, they hate evil. Those who fear the Lord will hate evil. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. I have, to, I have to make this up, right? This is just, the Lord just puts it out there. 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is what? Hatred of evil. And that's what it is. So the idea that you can fear the Lord and not hate evil I mean, that's a, that's a very big non sequitur right there. Uh, there's no, if A equals B, and you're like, I don't have B, then you don't have A. Uh, and the, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So again, those who fear the Lord, we're not being dragged away from evil when we depart from evil. We're not being pulled, like, you know, kicking and screaming from our sin as if God is pulling us from a, a second bowl of ice cream that, that your child wants. We depart from evil. Those who fear the Lord depart from evil because they hate evil. Because to fear the Lord is the hatred of evil. What do they hate? They hate, the, they hate evil. They hate the fruits of evil. Pride, arrogance, the, the path or the way of evil. It's again, it's, I love these, I love these, directional pictures, right? The word uprightness being the word straight. So you're going on the straight. You have these weird paths and ways. I mean, it's really about your, it's so good, so good. But what does he hate? He hates, he hates pride, he hates arrogance, he hates all the things on the path of evil. All the things on the way of evil. 
even perverted speech. Those who, who talk about things against God. This is, the, this, is the, this is very similar to the word devious. It is intentionally contrary to the things of God. The, the word perverted speech isn't just like nasty things. It's, it's perverted speech there is things intentionally away from how God created the world. That's why we say that this, these worlds are a bunch of perverts. Why? Because they're intentionally moving away. They're perverting the standard. They're moving, they see the way, we all see the way, Romans 1, we all know it, uh, and yet we are exchanging the truth for the lie, and we're perverting the way. And he says, so the Bible says, look, people who do that, 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 that even in speech I hate. Speech that tries to lead people astray, which is great, which is great that Uganda's like, uh, had that like uh, anti-homosexuality law, and is like, you can't even promote it. Why do, what do they recognize? Even perverse speech has implications for a society. Even perverted speech you should hate. I mean, we, we look at it. Verse 13, we look at this. We, we are uncomfortable with hating anything. In our world, we have Christians who are, I've even heard it, we're like, you know, don't say hate. We don't hate anything. But you, you, can, you can work your children through that reality a little bit better than that because what you're going to do is they're going to run into a problem where they're reading their Bible, hopefully even without you one day, uh, and they're going to see God talk about hating sin and the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. And you're like, but we're not supposed to hate anything. Uh, and so, I mean, we've got, to, we've, got to be, we've got to be careful here because that, it, 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 it evolves into adults who are like, no, it's all love. There is no hate. And as Christians, we have Christians who are uncomfortable with hating anything. But that just shows, that shows how much we've allowed the evil one to mute the word of God in our heads. To say, well, did God really say? Did God really say hate evil? Yeah, yeah, he really said that. Did God really say you would die? No, yeah, yeah, he did. He did. So don't take and eat it. And probably, not only does it show how much we've allowed the evil one to, to mute God's word, or to dull the word of God, it shows us probably more likely, because we, we, we make it a little bit easier on the devil than we even need to be. Frankly, it probably shows just how little of the, the word of God we've read. We're probably just not aware of how often God says things like, you people of God should hate these things, and I hate these things, and if you fear me, you will hate these things. We're probably not familiar with those verses. That's probably the real problem. We're just not familiar with the word of God very much. Because we typically only read our favorite passages, our favorite stories, or whatever. But those who fear the Lord, those who love God, hate evil, and they hate evil things, and they hate evil people. Psalm 97.10, Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Amos chapter 5, Amos chapter 5.15, Hate evil and love good. You want me to quit hating your religious feasts? You want me to quit hating your, you want me to quit hating your festivals and your celebrate, all these things? What should you do? You should hate evil. And you should love good. Both of those things there. Hate evil, love good. Maybe Paul, Romans 12, after laying out the great glory of God in rescuing us from ourselves and our hard hearts, all that he did to be living sacrifices. What do we do as living sacrifices? What does he say in 12.9? Abhor what is evil. Abhor it. Those who fear the Lord will depart from evil because they hate evil. The Bible is clear. The Lord is clear. If you fear the Lord, then a fruit that will be present in your life is you will depart from evil. You will depart 
from sin in your life because you hate evil. I said, we saw you serve the Lord because you love the Lord. Here we see we depart from evil, not just because we love the Lord. That would be to just steal one side of the coin. It would be to mute God's word. It would be to mute where God says the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Well, it can't be hatred, God. You don't understand. You're all love. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil as well. So what do we do with this? Let's look at some uses, the things that we must do. As we've said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. What must we do in light of these things? Well, the easy thing is, if you fear the Lord, you will depart from evil. If you fear the Lord, you will depart. You cannot fear the Lord and not bear the fruit of that fear. And one of the necessary fruits of those who fear the Lord is a departure from evil. Those who fear the Lord cannot reside with evil. They cannot stand it. They must depart from it. And so must you. The Bible says those who fear the Lord depart from evil. It doesn't say the Bible, it doesn't say those who fear the Lord depart from evil except for this one person who's going to be born in 1981 uh, AD. That person, they've got it really hard. So they don't have to depart from evil. Uh, there, there's no exemption here. There's just implication, which is if you fear the Lord, what will happen is you will depart from evil. So you must, you must, if you fear the Lord, you will depart from evil. It will happen. So with that, you must not just ignore evil. You must remove yourself from it. Departing from evil is an action, not just an intention. It's about a removal, not just a rejection. You keep yourself far from sin. And when sin crops up, you get out of there, right? You depart from sin. When you see, the, when you see that, that, that sort of twisting vine of sin, like you've gotten away, right? Oh, you see this evil? You depart from it. You're over here. And you see that the, the, the trailing leaders of sin continue to pursue you. What do you do? You get away again. You're constantly departing from evil. We can't just ignore evil. We don't just sit there and go, oh man, it's really close. Uh, but I'm man, I'm strong and I'm denying it and I'm fighting this battle. No, you get away from it. You depart from it. Whatever it is that is tempting you or causing you, don't just, you don't just see it there and go, well, I'm glad I'm not doing it. You, get, you depart from that evil. You flee from that sin. You don't make excuses for yourself. You don't make excuses for yourself to say like, okay, I can handle it or I can, I can do this. You, you depart from evil. So you must, you must not just ignore evil, you should remove yourself from it. Next, you must not just hate the world's evil, you must hate your own. It is true that as Christians, we don't just hate the evils of the world, we must hate evil in our own lives. And if we find ourselves doing evil, if we find ourselves on the path of evil, we must depart from it. And we will depart from it if we fear the Lord. So if you fear the Lord, you must hate your own sin. If you keep on sinning, continually rejecting the convictions of God, both external and internal, then you do not fear the Lord. The Bible says you despise Him. You do not have faith in Him. You are not amazed by Him. You are not amazed by His glory and His holiness. 
Proverbs said, you despise him. If you continue to see your sin and not flee from it, but instead grovel in it, walk in it, pursue it, you do not fear the Lord. So as, so as believers, we must ask ourselves, do you despise the Lord? If you're not departing from your sin, you do. If there is a sin that you have allowed to hang on in your life, I don't care if you're hacking out a hundred other weeds. If there is a sin that you have decided to keep in your pocket and allow in your life to make an excuse for, to allow yourself to be anxious, to allow yourself to be angry, to allow yourself to be lustful, to allow yourself to do whatever. If there's something you keep, that is a despising of the Lord. Because a Christian doesn't just depart from some sin. They depart from it all. The fear of the Lord causes them to hate sin, especially their own. We mu- if you fear the Lord, you must not cling to your sin. You must depart from it. If you're not departing from it, what you're showing is a despising of the Lord. Which leads to the next thing. You must not sin. Right? So let's get ahead of it. Because again, the, the, the fear of the Lord is not just reactive. It's proactive. It's not just you sin and then you get away from it. That's what we saw in Exodus 20. It's not just, it's not just that the, the fear of the Lord gets us out of sin. It's that the fear of the Lord keeps us from it as well. So in Exodus 20, what did he say? God, God taught them to fear him so that they wouldn't sin. He didn't say, I'm going to teach you to fear me so that when you sin, you'll know to get away from it. He says, I'm going to teach you to fear me so you're not going to sin, to keep you from that sin. And, and I'm not going to kill that verse with a thousand qualifiers. I'm not going to say, but now we actually know and you can't really. Like, I'm just going to let the verse say what it says. I mean, Satan has been giving us qualifiers since the beginning. Fear the Lord and heed the words of Christ. Go and sin no more. You, you, must be like, don't, you must be like Job, who was perfect in all his ways. You must be upright. Your path must be straight, not the crooked paths of sin. What does Jesus himself say? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And if you fear the Lord, that will be your path. Like John says, if we say we have fellowship with him, when we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all our sin. God teaches us to fear him, but the reason he has taught you to fear him is the same reason he taught his people to fear him in the beginning. He's teaching you to fear him to keep you from sinning. Not just to get you out of sin when you do it, but you keep you from even getting in it. May his teaching take root in your heart and in your life. And if you find yourself constantly sinning, so if you find yourself not departing from your sin, that's a sign you don't fear the Lord. But you know what else is a sign you don't fear the Lord? Is if you constantly find yourself sinning. If you're like, you know what, Job 1 could not describe me at all. It's not just that Job was a righteous man, constantly getting back on the path of uprightness. Job was a righteous man, constantly uh, undoing the blame that he had. If you could not look at your life and say that you're, you are living a perfect and upright, a straight life, if, you're, if, you're, if, you do, if you are someone who is constantly falling into sin over and over and over, you need to ask yourself, maybe the reason for that is I do not fear the Lord. Because God says one of the reasons he teaches us to fear him is that we might not sin. And the fear of the Lord has always been doing it. It, keeps, it doesn't just get his people out of sin, it keeps his people from sin. 
You must hate evil and its fruits. That's the next thing. You must hate evil and you must hate its fruits. You cannot take sin lightly, Christian. You can't take it lightly in yourself. You can't take it lightly in others. You must hate it. And that's going to be important because if you hate sin, of course you're going to depart from it. If you hate sin, you don't want anything to do with it. No one, no one is like, oh, I really hate mushrooms, but I can't make myself stop eating mushrooms, right? Oh, I hate them. Make me stop. Make me stop. I can't. If you hate sin, you're going to get away from it. If someone's like, hey, what that pizza is that? Mushroom pizza. You're going to go, like, run over here. But if we hate sin and we see ourselves in it, we'll go, whoa, how did I get here? I don't want to be here. I'm getting out of here. And it will also be a preventative as well. If you hate sin, you will not get yourself into it. You will not go, hey, what's on that pizza? Can you add mushrooms? You're not going to do that because you hate them. In the same way, if you hate evil, if you hate evil, you're not going to want to add it to your life because you hate it. No one wants to add something that they hate to their life. So one of the, one of the reasons that we struggle with sin often goes back to the root of not loving God enough because we, since we don't love God enough, we don't hate sin enough. If you just hated sin more, it would help you to repent of your sin when you're in it and it would help you not have to repent because you're not even going to get in in the first place because you're going to hate that sin. You want nothing to do with it. If you find yourself struggling to depart from evil, what you might have is a hatred problem. Teach yourself to hate evil and you will depart from it. Teach yourself to hate evil and you will find yourself less in it. You and I, we must hate evil and we must hate its fruits. We must hate what evil does to us and we must hate what evil does to the image bearers of God and we must hate what evil does to the world that our God has created. We must hate those things. And lastly, uh, departing evil must be a defining trait of your life. As a Christian, it must not be that you just departed from evil once. You can't just rest back on that one, oh, that one time I did. I, re- I repented of sin, that one sin. Remember I did that, that, I departed from evil that one time. That one time I really wanted to sin and I didn't. So I must fear the Lord. And you're looking back six, seven years ago. You're looking back when you were a teenager, you know. For Job... His life was perfect and upright, consistently. It was a defining character of his life. Think about your life. I mean, your story. If they're talking about you in the heavenlies, right? If instead of Job, they're like, consider my servant, insert name. What would they be saying? Could they say, oh, that person, that's, that's my servant who fears me. Look at their perfect and upright life. Look at how they depart from evil. They fear me and depart from evil. Could that be said about you? A consistent part of your life. Again, it didn't say, hey, have you seen my servant Job? Once, when he was, you know, 20 years ago, he departed from evil. He's like, that's what he, that's who he is. Is that who you are? Does departing from evil define your character? Or does it just describe certain episodes in your life? Like you've got this life and your character had an episode back in season two where you departed from evil once. You're still clinging to that? Oh, I must fear the Lord. Don't you remember what I did back then? Don't you remember that? It it must define the Christian's life every day. You must turn from sin every day. You must depart from it all the time. You must not get into it. You even have to depart from it. Because you fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord, 
then departing from evil will be who you are down to your bones. It will define your life. And that means it will define a life of departing from sin. Those who fear the Lord depart from evil. May we be a people who fear the Lord. Let's pray. I just want you to take a moment and consider the vow that you made to start the service. Where you told the Lord that all that He has spoken you will do. You do not take lightly your vows and the Lord does not take lightly to them whether or not you said it uh, without thinking or not. Whether it just became a rote recitation or you really thought before you said all that the Lord has spoken you will do. What has the Lord said in His Word? That as you saw it, as you read it, you thought, that's what I need to do. We must be obedient to God's Word. We must depart from evil. Is there an evil in your life that you have not departed from? Is there an evil in your life that you're, you're still allowing, you're still clinging to? You do, do, do not despise the Lord today. Don't despise Him. How gracious that He sends His Word to show you this and then His Spirit to convict you of it. Would you despise both those things? Would you despise the text that He has blessed us with to show you the, and convict you? And then would you despise the Spirit who convicted your heart? Would you despise them both? then you do not have a fear of the Lord. So then assume, I do fear the Lord. Well then, get rid of that thing. Depart from it. Depart from it now. Repent of it now. And do what you need to do in your life to stay as far away from it as you can. Flee and flee and flee and flee. That's what those who fear the Lord do. They depart from sin. They get away from it. We're going to see next week what they pursue. But take, take these words seriously. Take the commands of God seriously. And fear your, fear your God and depart from evil. Father, we, we come to you today and, and we, we know, God, that we could not call you Father if it were not for the work that you had done in your Son to cause us to fear you in the first place. The faith that was given to us by Him to open our eyes so that we could see your glory and your holiness when we were blind to those things. To do what we saw Isaiah asked you to do in, in Isaiah 63. Where he was like, return to us and cause us to fear you. Father, we are a people here who, who are fearing you because you have made us to fear you. Just like you did in Exodus 20. You have done that in us. We, we have had that Sinai moment in, in our hearts where you have opened our eyes so that we might fear you and not sin. So, Father, help us to fear you more. Help us to fear you and bear the fruit of that fear in our lives. But may we be so amazed by you, have such faith in such an amazing God, so glory, glorious and, and holy, that, Father, we would be a people who depart from sin. That the fruit of that fear would be that, Father, we get as far away from sin as we can. So far away, we, we, not only do we get away from it, we don't let it in. Father, help us to fear you like that. Help us to be a people who depart from evil and do good. Help us to be a people that turn away from evil and pursue you. Father, keep our tongues from speaking evil. Keep our lips from speaking deceit. Cause us to seek peace and pursue it. 
May we depart from evil and may we pursue you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.